Welcome, everybody. It is uh, part two of our series on our love of capitalism. It is. We we okay. we took a break in the middle last time because there was such a wealth of knowledge. I needed time to process it. Uh, Gene, welcome to the show. And there's a show form coming up that I'm gonna yeah. be uh, I'm gonna be open up for. Why don't you tell the fans? That's right, uh, Robin. You're gonna be paid two hundred dollars worth of shitcoin uh, for uh, that service. And that's uh, what comes to maybe a dollar a joke. There'll be 200 great jokes that you'll cram into those eight minutes. And so I'm getting quite a bargain from you, Rob. And I've seen you on the stage and you kill it. At your best, you kill it. I saw you and then uh, uh, Dave Smith uh, followed you. You were both fantastic. You both knocked it out of the park. Uh, and uh, I, I want you for particular reasons, uh, with all due respect to Dave, this is going to be a very hot subject that night. It's going to be all about uh, about uh, military power deterring China from invading Taiwan. And Dave is just, uh, has just become such a uh, political figure. I'm a little bit afraid that uh, he's going to, uh, you know, touch off some kind of controversy. Oh, in my, his so you are safer, Rob. You are safer. My, my opinion's already known on this topic. I've already what publicly declared that I thought yeah. Russia should take Taiwan. Yes. So <laughs> I'm not controversial anyway. I've already made my opinion clear. Precisely, Robin. You, you just like to tell jokes about uh, Chinese restaurants, and uh, you'll work that angle on the China uh, issue. Exactly. And, uh, that's why uh, I want you. You're sort of one of, one of those old-fashioned Jewish comics, uh, and uh, that's why I want you warming them up uh, with just a sort of a Bush Belt kind of approach, if you know what that expression means. You know, having to do with the Catskills, where all the, all the great uh, Jewish comics uh, used to hang out, like Jackie Mason. And uh, so you uh, you are going to be the warm-up act. And this is like uh, the uh, after after months in the wilderness. This is the sole form to attend. Why? Because at the Sheen Center at 18 Bleecker Street in downtown Manhattan, there will be no vax or mask requirements. And that's why a principled guy like Rob is willing to take uh, the stage because there will be no vax or mask requirements. Mayor Eric Adams, I'm beginning to like him a little bit better, certainly a heck of a lot better than the previous mayor, Mayor de Blasio, did lift all of vax requirements for restaurants and public venues as of March 7th. And a lot of venues are following that happily. Uh, some are not quite but in any case, he lifted them. I don't think de Blasio would have done that. And so New York City is beginning to be to open up again uh, to reasonable people. And that's very heartening for me as a uh, denizen of downtown Manhattan. So again, no vaccine mask requirements. And, and that's after many months. And uh, Rob, you uh, and uh, and you, I mean, you wouldn't appear at, uh, at, at the last time around when I had to impose the vaccine requirements, but at least you haven't repudiated me. You and Dave and Tom Woods, you've stayed loyal to me personally. Uh, you've forgiven me, cut me some slack for the fact that I was running uh, these debates at places that did impose vaccine requirements. But now, happily, uh, uh, this is the homecoming. All of you out of towners who enliven our, our, uh, our debate so much, please come to New York City. That's going to be on Monday evening, April 11th. There's enough time. I guess what, Rob, if you fly in, I guess you have to have vax requirements on the plane. You know no, I mean? no, no, no. I've been flying all over the country. There's no yeah. vax requirements for planes. Oh, okay, dude. Oh, well, you know, I'm so ignorant. I, 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 I haven't flown in months. And so I, I, I did have to 
What am I talking about? Whatever it is, Rob, I'm an ill-informed guy. Well, that's good. So fly in, come in by train, plane, bus, or automobile. from Hitchhike. Attica. Hitchhike, <laughs> exactly. And I'm sorry for belaboring this ad too much, Rob, but you know I've got to take my time to say that this is going to be the sole form of the year, Monday, April 11th. And that's, again, at, uh, and that's uh, the doors open at 6. Uh, the proceedings start at 6.30. At around 6.34, I'm going to bring Rob Bernstein on as the warm-up act, and uh, and then uh, the debate begins. And then there will be a reception in my home. Uh, I've gotten into that now format. My home is only two blocks uptown from the Sheen Center, and I think it's a good place. It's a more sort of a funky atmosphere to have a reception. And uh, it, you know, we we the last reception, which where there were no vaccine requirements, and where Rob did do an informal uh, warm up act. Uh, look, Rob, Rob, Rob is willing to appear in the men's restroom of of, of, of any bus station as long as you bring well, like as long as you bring enough. Uh, attendees because rob rob just practically gives away his jokes his jokes are invaluable but he's willing to give them away that's because he is a sweet and generous guy um, so anyway um what else what else should we say about the soul forum rob that i haven't said already five different times yeah i, I think i think you covered it it's uh yeah, okay. it's a good hang you got yeah. meatballs in, uh in the back you can have oh, a yeah, beverage the food. The food okay yeah look rob what? is a jewish guy he stops he stops the food down. <laughs> he brings, he brings it. yeah indeed my wife is going to be catering uh the event and, uh, at at our home, uh, and uh, so of course Rob is looking forward to the food, just like any other Jewish guy is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I also I, I uh, the events are uh, very informative, but I also find that they're ADD friendly because you know exactly how. Like you're never stuck in your seat wondering how long this thing is going, oh. and everyone's kind of ha has their time commitments. So they got to get their point across, and oh. before yeah. you know it, you get to the questions, and you're like, that was the perfect amount of time for me to. So I find it like the flow of the events are really uh, friendly for people like me. Oh, thanks, Rob. No, it, there's uh, yeah, it's it's it. In most of our debates are, are an 80 minute format. We 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 have to respect the clock. And I've got somebody in the front flashing cards when they're running out of time. So indeed, it's it's um it, but 80 minutes uh it, it, for for one on one debate. People can speak in paragraphs. Uh, the, there are questions from the audience. Uh, there is, in fact, of course, uh, as you know, the, uh, uh, the the before and after Oxford-style vote. You vote on our little, uh, we have a program for this. You can access on your smartphone. Uh, and the audience votes yes, no, or undecided on the resolution. In this case, it's going to be the U.S. should use its military power to deter China from invading Taiwan. And you vote yes, no, or undecided on the resolution uh, before the debate begins. Yes, no, or undecided on the resolution after the debate ends. And whoever moves the, the vote in his or her favor wins the Tootsie Roll. I literally toss a Tootsie Roll at the winner. Uh, who invariably those, are, those are old school. So, uh, it's actually kind of a theatrical evening uh, because there's a conflict between two people. And then there's a kind of a resolution at the end because of the Oxford style voting. Yeah. All right. So let's get into it right off the bat. My question for Eugene Epstein is let's imagine a theoretical world where you're in charge of the Fed and your decision is not to get rid of the Fed. So you're, you're in charge. You respect that the institution is supposed to exist and that you have to mandate what the interest rate's going to be and predict inflation based on the interest rate that you're imposing on the economy. So I hand it to you to maybe give us a little bit of a picture here of 
what this tiny percentage increase, if it like, what, what's your inflation expectation over this next year? Are we going to, are things going nuts? Is it because of the supply lines? Is it because of the money printing? Take it over. You know more on this topic than I do. Okay. Well, that's okay, Rob. You want to talk about inflation? Interesting. A little bit. Enough, I, thought, I just want to inform the audience that, uh, you know, Rob likes everything free flowing and uh, unpredictable because uh, Rob actually emailed me. I've got the documentation. He talked about the first question he did want to ask having to do with the oil price. So I'm hoping. Oh, I skipped know. that. Wait, you, you want, okay. we, can, we can start with the oil pricing. That's a fascinating okay. question as well. Okay. Well, it, it sounds as though the theme uh, is going to be mostly price inflation rather than a continuation of the bleeding heart capitalism, which is fine. Uh, I, in any case, uh, Rob, I'm actually fine with answering the first question you asked because the oil, the oil price is a different question. You found it kind of interesting uh, having to do with, the, with, with what happened when Biden announced that the U.S. was no longer going to, going to buy Russian oil. Uh, you were interested in that, uh, or am I mistaken? It was no, a- no. I thought that was fascinating. So I'll set yeah. that up. We'll go in order. Look at me. I was, oh, I was oh. jumping the gun on inflation. Oh, so well, inflation enti- relates to it, of course. Yeah, yeah. No, but we'll we'll go with the oil to start off. So the entire world hopped yeah. on when Biden said, "Hey, we're not going to buy Russian oil." Every single media organization is going, "Oh my God, oil is already going up yeah. in price, and it's going to go even further up yeah. in price." And Gene, I I was even you know talking this narrative, and you said that's a load of hooey. That's not the way well, it works. So I hand it well, to you to us because it was interesting and I did have it wrong. Well, for the most part, it is a load of who we And I would point to the fact that the world price, the Brent price of oil has been pretty flat since uh, since Biden went up and it went down. It's, it hasn't uh, really resumed any upward rise since Biden made that announcement. And that was uh, a couple of weeks ago. So therefore, that would be evidence enough that the fundamentals are, are with me rather than with uh, People such as yourself, Rob, who believe that that was a time to. Did you go long oil futures at the time, Rob, and lose your shirt? Because no, you, you of course not. I figured the second it's already made the paper, you're you're, you're too late. Oh, that's an old saying. Yeah, once when when the when the when the market makes the front page of the New York Times, then then uh, we know the uh, the market rises over. I'll, t- you know, I'll tell you what, I did lose my shirt on was Zero Hedge did an article about buying uh, Russian ETFs, and I lost oh. just about a hundred percent on those. You bought you bought the, the, the van bought, the van Eck, uh Russian whatever. <laughs> not since you bought those czarist bonds, Rob. But then they overthrew the czar and and the bonds were no good anymore. So that was another. Anyway, uh, but okay, with respect to the oil market, it, it's only that when Biden says we're not going to buy uh, any more Russian oil, ironically, they, they most most of what most of Russian oil that's sold in the market isn't even bought by the U.S. in the first place, and a number of other countries didn't quite join uh, Biden in that. But that's really less important than the fact that by and large. By and large, uh, the oil market is like one big swimming pool. It's often we often talk about it being a bathtub. It's really one big swimming pool, and that and that uh, the sellers put the oil into the pool, and the buyers take oil out of the pool. And it doesn't really matter whether they're taking oil uh, out of the out of the shallow end or at the deep end of the pool, or the north end or the south end of the pool. The point is that we've got many countries that sell oil in the global marketplace, and many countries that buy oil. And if, and if country A is no longer buying from country B, then country B will, cal- will sell to country C and D, uh, 
that oil that wasn't sold to country A, and country A will buy its oil from countries F, G, and H, and there's just basically a realignment of the oil market. Now, that's that's a slight exaggeration because I've been reading some of the stories about how um, Russia has been marketing its oil at a discount in the market because because some countries have been reluctant to take it. But essentially, of course, if you've got oil to sell, you're going to be eager to sell it. If you if, if you want oil, you're going to be eager to buy it. And the Russian oil that that the U.S. is not going to buy will find its way into the market one way or another. As as I said when I was speaking to you, uh, we, we've literally had cases of, of, of oil tankers on their way to one country, suddenly getting particular news and then, you know, veering in another direction and getting on their way to another country. So it's almost like, like the adjustments can be instantaneous. But it isn't always instantaneous. Uh, and, and of course, the oil market is a fascinating mix of uh, of politics and economics and this of course of just what happens on the high seas so uh, it's a little bit of a mystery where the russian oil is going but by and large it didn't into the pool one way or the other and however it goes in or is taken out is pretty much beside the point so that's all the only lesson i i guess you thought that was of interest rob what i said so then uh th i mean this is a good segue into the inflation conversation yeah, okay. so in yeah. your estimation yeah. uh is the reason why gas prices are where they currently are is that a signal of inflation and what, like, well, well, well as a matter of fact um you know i don't have i have to say i don't have a complete explanation as to why the oil price has risen, uh, this, uh, and uh, so, so as as far as it has, uh, you know, up to up to nearly a hundred dollars a barrel. Uh, there, there, there was a some crazy stuff went on in the market the last couple of years, uh, having to do with the fact that at one point, by the way, do you know that oil, the oil price went negative? You know, the, for the first time in the history of humankind. During the lockdowns, there was so much oil sloshing around in the world that 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 people were paying to give it away, and for a brief time. Give it away. Well, that was like a one-month thing, and I bet. Yeah, well, well, I mean, yeah. well, okay. Yeah, all right, all right, all right. Look, look, and look. You admittedly, I'm a Talmudic scholar of prices, and and you're just a generalist, Rob. So I just found that fascinating. My right. God, my God, I'm I'm paying you a buck a barrel, two bucks to take oil off my hands. You know, this is a this this was years after they said, well, oil's going to two hundred dollar a barrel. So, uh, <clears throat> so it looked as though the 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 oil suppliers got such a shock from that that they did. Didn't expand capacity, uh, and then and then Biden comes on, and he wants to choke off any expansion in in the oil supply, and so I, it looks as though that sort of led to a scarcity of supply and and the oil price jumping to hundred dollars a barrel. Now I'm being over overly simple when I say that, and by the way. Uh, you can see that I'm not mentioning the Federal Reserve when I talk about the oil price, <clears throat> because for the most part, it really doesn't belong in the story, but you can bring it in a bit. Um, you can bring it in a bit because the, the basic rule of price inflation is that um, is that unless there is an expansion in the money supply, um, that's a slight overstatement because it has to do with to some degree with, with the money that people want to hold and whether they want to hold less and then more money is spent. But by and large, it, it, it's determined by whether there has been an expansion in the money supply. Uh, the expansion in the money supply will bring uh, an increase in the general array of prices. But if there is no expansion in the money supply, then if the oil price goes up, that doesn't mean there's really price inflation as we normally use the term, because all it means then is that 
people will be have to spend money on oil, on gasoline, on heating oil, uh, 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 more than they usually do. That leaves less money uh, for other things. And with less money available to buy other things, those things will tend to go down in price. And so the general array of prices will remain about the same. In, in a normal free market, the, the, the prices adjust to each other. If, if something becomes very scarce and a lot of people really want it, if there is, as we economists say, inelastic demand for that product, and that's of course true of energy, we really need, we, we consumers need a lot of it. And if it doubles in price, we'll cut back a little bit, but we can't cut, cut back by that much. We have to drive our cars and heat our homes and turn on the electricity. Uh, we'll spend more on that and less on other things. So again, it's it's a fundamental rule, of course, that only with uh, a uh, an increase in the money supply can we get a general increase in the in the array of prices. But to get back to your point about oil and gasoline and heating oil. There was an absolute explosion in the money supply over the last two years. Uh, by an explosion, I mean uh, more precisely a, a measure of money known as M2, which is a very, very conventional measure uh, kept by the Federal Reserve for years. Uh, the M2 includes cash, checks, uh, and uh, savings accounts, uh, uh, money market funds, uh, uh, those things that we normally call money or near money, you know, the money you have in your savings account <clears throat> that's not in your cash, your checks, is money you'll tap, money market funds. That's the measure called M2. And over the last uh, two years, 24 months, it's jumped by over 40%. In other words, just 40% of you know, all, all the M2 that ever existed was created over the last two years. Now, that's unprecedented in terms of the numbers that the, that the Federal Reserve has been keeping going back to the 1960s. Uh, the biggest jump prior to that was in the 1970s when it jumped by about 29% in two years. A couple of times, there were spikes of about 29%. We've had now 41%. <clears throat> and what was what, what happened in the 1970s? Well, the 1970s were also a period of very high price inflation double double digit price inflation up in many years during the 70s so again i only link that up because my point is that that uh, clearly m2 has something to do with price inflation <clears throat> but of course logically as i say uh, an expansion of the money supply is what drives inflation and uh, it's to my amazement i read again uh, the uh, rob you going somewhere what, what no no i uh I'm boring you, Rabbi. You not, not, not even a little bit. It said that my oh. battery was going to die, and I realized oh, okay. I had it plugged in the cord. All right, the usual problem with the technical problems that interrupt my flow, but that's okay. Uh, but anyway, uh, uh, so getting back to your question, if you want to link uh, the oil price with the money supply with the Federal Reserve, uh, then, uh, then we do have somewhat of a link. On the other hand, I will say that the, the jump in the oil price was mainly sort of supply driven. Uh, and uh, given uh, the scenario I sketched uh, a few minutes ago about what seemed to have happened with supply. Right now, by the way, it's interesting that a lot of uh, small producers of oil are going bonkers with glee. They're expand the small producers are expanding, the domestic small producers of oil, relatively small. They're they're they, they are expanding their, uh, their, their oil supplies 
very rapidly right now. And they are, they're getting like, you know, $90 a barrel, $95 a barrel. They are on their way to becoming, uh, you know, uh, billionaires at, at this rate. I don't quite know why the majors are not expanding, but, but the domestic oil market, which consists of a lot of frackers, a lot of other smaller, uh, smaller uh, um, uh, companies, uh, is expanding the oil supply. So it is a price looking for a greater supply. And to some degree, it is finding it in, in domestic uh, oil producers. But that, that's the oil story. You began by asking me about the Federal Reserve and you threw me a difficult question. You said, no, you can't end the Fed. No, no, uh, no ending of the Fed. Uh, it's now Chairman Gene Epstein. I'm now chair of the Fed. You know, yes. you know, the old line, what, what if they made you dictator for life and uh, what's the first thing you do? Chomsky used to joke, I'd resign. You know, what if they made you chairman of the Fed? My answer, well, I'd resign. I'd say, no, you've got to end the Fed. I don't I don't belong in this Soviet style organization of trying to allocate the price, the most important price of all, the price of money, the price of credit, the interest rate. But, but, but you've asked me the stumper, Rob, because you like to be hard on me and get me at my best draw me out and and and, uh, and give me questions that are so right. difficult not even uh not even the chairman powell can answer them and so, not even dave Smith. so i'll answer the question Ron, but before the be, before we get to the stumper oh, i actually yeah, think I, that there's a a building block that maybe we should add to the conversation which is if we look at oil and we say hey it does seem like this isn't entirely price inflation but it's somewhat uh in regards to supply line issues uh, so do you think that some of the other prices that we're currently seeing in the market, uh, most notably, I guess, in meat or what people are saying they're seeing at like the shopping mark, you know, when they're going shopping for food, do you think some of that is also supply line related and that with COVID we shut down factories or you've had all these situations with courts or do you think, yes, I've got to grade you down with Rob. If, you, if you're going to talk about the general array of prices, if you're now not only talking about the oil price, and indeed the gasoline price does respond to the oil price, definitely. You know, pe people who sell sell the stuff at the pump, if they're paying a pile of dough, if, if along the pipeline the, the crude oil costs a lot, then the gasoline price is going to rise as well. But if you're now talking about um, about the whole, uh, if you're not broadening it to the, what I prefer to call the array of prices, that's a word that an Austrian would use. They're not, not the price index, but the array of prices. If you're talking about all of these prices, food, uh, cars, uh, services uh, like uh, you know, massages, uh, all of these prices that are rising, then as I've said, if, if, if it depends on what's happening with the money supply, why? Because now we're talking about all the prices. Because as I've said, if, uh, if, if the oil price is spiking and gasoline price is spiking and heating oil prices are spiking, then you and I've got to spend more on this stuff. But if there's no more money in the system uh, than, than there was a year ago, then, uh, then, <clears throat> then on, ba on balance, on average, <clears throat> we consumers have have less money to spend on these other items, and so, and so, even if even if supplies are having a problem, we're going to be we're, we're going to be we're going to be spending less on these items. So, so you're not going to see very much of a rise in the general array of prices, if indeed if uh, if 
the uh, the money supply remains flat because what goes for the what what that much more that goes for gasoline and heating oil will be that much less that goes for other things and so it's a little bit of a confusion to say <clears throat> that that this has been a general supply side issue having to do with uh, with uh, with a uh, supply chain problems so again it's uh, i'm trying i'm oversimplifying a little bit but i'm trying to get us down to earth and recognize that that if the money supply were stable and they're stable in, in fact money supply is stable and the more goods then prices will be generally falling but and again i'm not saying the supply so side isn't affecting things a little bit but as a general approximation it's a complete confusion to talk about how uh, how the supply side can be driving uh, the general array of prices up or the price indexes is conventionally measured the consumer price index the personal consumption expenditures a price index those price indexes cannot be driven up unless there's an expansion in the money supply you see the logic if there's no if, if there's no more money then then we just have that much less to spend on other things if indeed the oil price the oil price of course is unique because of what do we call inelastic demand it does mean that if the oil price rises <clears throat> then uh, then gasoline and heating oil will become more expensive and we're going to be spending more on those items because of inelastic demand if, if if the price of peaches rises rob then you and you and I, you'll obviously eat more nectarines so <clears throat> so the price of peaches isn't even going to affect very very much you won't you won't pay that high price for peaches very few people will <clears throat> but you will when it comes to energy so of course the energy will indeed bring about price declines in the other items because of the because of the demand for energy is inelastic I, have I explained it well enough, Rob? Are you are you still uh, dubious about what that? No, no, no. I, I so I do have one question, but oh. essentially, the biggest indicator of inflation is the M two money supply. We've had it at the highest level ever, yeah. which is forty yeah. percent. Right? It was a forty percent increase. Yeah. yeah. And uh, we have a general rule that the only reason you would see prices raising across the board is because of price inflation. Uh, because if well, not, you would just of, see what because of price just moment. price inflation has occurred because of an explosion in the money supply. Price right. inflation, which which refers not to an oil not to an oil price rise rise, but to the general array of prices. Most prices are up. And as now, couldn't couldn't an increase in specifically the energy costs? Because what you're saying is if I gotta spend more money on energy. And let's say I rent out hotel rooms. I know that people are spending more money to get to my hotel. So I'm going to have to reduce the rate of my hotel rooms because people have less money to spend on the hotel. Unless you do, they will have less money. I mean, it, this is almost right. a matter of simple arithmetic. No, I, but don't yeah. you also have, though, uh, that, you know, there's a rate of profit that everyone's looking for. And so if I have to spend more money oh, yeah. on gasoline and the energy to operate my hotel, then I'm forced to increase my costs. I mean, I'm forced to increase it because otherwise I'm going to be like, ah, I'm not hitting the profit that I need. Like, doesn't well, doesn't in some way the energy costs actually push everything up because people are going to demand more because operating costs them more? Well, you ironically, without realizing it, Rob, have put your finger on something else that's in common parlance, which is called of the potential for an oil price shock. And uh, now I don't deny, I, I, I don't deny uh, th that these things can happen, uh, even though I think 
that uh, that that when we look back on the so-called oil price shocks, I don't think that it was really the oil price that did it. But what does an oil price shock do? Uh, an oil price shock is 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 often uh, what they blame a, a recession on. A, a lot of a wave of what is a recession? It's a wave of bankruptcies. A lot of businesses suddenly can't function. They they uh, they can't make a profit. They shut down. They start laying off workers. So it's a wave of bankruptcies across the economy. And how does the oil price shock bring it about? Well, the oil price shock can bring it about more or less for the reasons that you stated. Suddenly, they're, 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 the businesses have to pay far more for oil. Everybody else has to pay far more for oil. So they, they, they're suddenly, suddenly, and they can't, because there is no increase in the money supply, in, the, in this example I'm giving, or not enough of an increase in the money supply, uh, the consumers of that motel you mentioned, is that the example you cited, can, can no longer, uh, 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 cannot afford what the motel would like to charge in order to stay in business. And, and the motel realizes it, uh, there's, not enough, there's not enough demand. And so the motel suddenly shuts down and lays off all its workers. And that happens across the board. So uh, there's, no, there's no question, by the way, that any market economy is vulnerable to shocks. And I mean, that, that to some degree segues into the, the, the argument I make about Austrian business cycle theory, which is that we, 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 we Austrians talk about what mainly causes recessions uh, having to do with malinvestment that can no longer function. But I leap to say that that's not the only potential shock that a market economy would be subject to. Uh, an oil price shock is conceivable. Uh, uh, I mean, I the example that I, I used to like to cite is, you know, let's say everybody goes kosher to, tomorrow morning and, and nobody is going to buy buys non-kosher food as of tomorrow morning. All that non-kosher food is on the market, but nobody's going to buy it. There's going to be a wave of bankruptcies, a wave of people laying others, laying labor, businesses laying their laborers off. And that could uh, that could cause uh, further uh, uh, problems. Uh, a, a market economy does have shocks, and then it has to adjust to those shocks. But to go back then to your point, no, Rob, if there's if there's a flat money supply, then uh, then it's not as though all of those businesses can raise prices. They they'll simply have to tolerate uh, charging lower prices and see if they can survive. Their costs are going to rise and their and and their prices are going to have to either remain flat or down because people will not have the money to afford uh, those. Uh, uh, those items because they are already spending a lot more money than they used to on energy. So that's why energy management matters. So, so you're not you're talking about an oil price shock that could bring a recession, a wave of bankruptcies. You're not talking about an, an inflation response. Again, follow the arithmetic, Rob. If there's if there's only uh, you know ten trillion, matter of fact, I'm not I don't even know my M two numbers offhand. If there's only you know ten trillion M two in the economy. And, and a year later, there's still only 10 trillion M2, no more money than there was the year before, then prices are not going to rise uh, in general. Uh, if, uh, if, if the oil price rises substantially, uh, all that will happen is the oil price will rise and other prices will fall accordingly, and the general rate of prices will remain approximately the same. And But if there is that oil price shock, and if it makes it difficult for a lot of businesses to function because of the reasons I stated, it could bring a recession. So just to put it in very simple terms, if you own a business, you want to charge more money for your services. Plain and simple, if you want to make more money as opposed to less money. 
So I hate every, it when brother, brother, yeah. I'm gonna let you finish that, even though I hate when you say that, but go ahead. Okay. So if every <laughs> single business finds out that they can raise their prices yeah. and not, and people will still purchase oh. their items, oh. there's only one reason why that could have happened and it's inflation. And then if you look at the M2 money supply and it's increased, then there, 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 no, you've okay, yes, okay, 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 just more, okay, raise up, okay, all right, you, you, you sort of rescued your point about raising prices, because I, I, I only, I like to make the point that so many of the major fortunes have been made, not by raising prices, but by cutting prices, you know, and that, that a, a businessman wants to maximize profits, right, and the, the different ways of doing that, improve quality, the quality of what you, what you sell, convince those people the quality is so special that they should pay more for it or should buy more of it but another way is to simply cut prices for standard items and that's how basically how jeff bezos became a billionaire at least that's how he catapulted himself that's how uh, that's how sam walton became a billionaire of walmart sam walton of walmart he basically sell you know brand name brand items uh, in large stores and cut the prices and that's how you become a billionaire but okay that's a bit of a digression uh, getting back to the point uh, you're you're now trying to talk about a scenario of, of inflation heating up and uh, what's my point there uh, I want to I want to throw in a footnote uh, about that m2 I want to say that that the source of that uh, of that explosion in M2 is essentially that the Federal Reserve uh, has has also seen an immense spike in the purchase of government bonds the, the, the uh, there's a there's a chart kept by the by the St. Louis Federal Reserve on how many how many uh, bonds issued by the US Treasury has the Federal Reserve bought over the last year over the last two years that too has exploded uh, they and how do, how does the Federal Reserve buy those bonds? It basically prints money, creates the money with which to buy those bonds. So We're financing through, more of our own debt. Financing more of our own debt, exactly. So through through the explosive purchase of those bonds, them uh, two has exploded. You know, statistically, it's difficult to trace the one from the other perfectly, but the, but fundamentally, that's the connection. To so the money basically goes into, into the hands of government, government spends the money, it floods into M2, it causes price inflation. Um, and so that that's pretty much the scenario. And uh, and uh, interestingly, you still haven't, you, you're backing off on that question if I were. No, I it. was about to set it back up. So that brings us to, we're looking, well, you're, you're in charge, you're looking at the chart. M2, yeah, well, 40% yeah. increase, no, price inflation's coming. You got to make a decision to raise interest rates because someone's got to make the decision. Yeah, when well, we put you in charge, you got to make it. What should I, we be raising it to? I took I take over from Chairman Powell um, um, as of as of Monday morning. Yes. All the all, all the all the destructive uh, policies that Chairman Jerome Powell, he's the chair of the Federal Reserve. Uh, for those who don't uh, precisely recognize his name, I hate to just mention a million names and people don't necessarily know. Uh, Chairman Powell, he's been in the news. <clears throat> he's been head of the Fed. I take over from him, and what do I do? Well. Uh, I, I I recognize one fact that stares you in the face. Uh, here too, I, I've thrown up a chart about this on on Twitter. Um, uh, you, you can uh, uh, we actually have the history of the targeted interest rate by the Fed is called the Fed funds rate. The Fed funds rate is the overnight lending rate between banks. Banks lend money to each other overnight, and the Fed mainly targets that 
interest rate. Targets it by by either actually an announcement effect can often target it. It, it targets that interest rate uh, by buying and selling bonds uh, and uh, and and uh, focusing on the, on the interbank market by so doing. Uh, I could we could set aside those particular logistics. I'm only setting it up for the Fed funds interest rate, which is historically the main interest rate, the short term interest rate that the Federal Reserve has used as an instrument of policy. But what's the next part of the story? Uh, from 1960 to 2010, <clears throat> over a 50-year period, that Fed's in, Fed funds interest rate was almost always above the rate of the, of the 12-month price inflation. If you if you just put 12 the, the, the trailing 12-month price inflation, you know the, the uh, uh, you know from December to December, January Jan, January February February. Uh, the rolling 12-month rate of price inflation measured by the CPI or by the PCE, uh, then, and then take the Fed funds rate. The Fed funds rate is gen was generally higher, almost always higher, than the rate of inflation. From over the 60, uh, I'm sorry, 50 years from 1960 to 2010. Although by 2010, it, it began to slip. Uh, and uh, in the 1990s, of course, I guess you, 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 you're, too, you're too young to remember that. Uh, the, 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 the Fed funds rate was at 5%, 5.5%, and the, and the inflation rate was 2%, 3%. So it, it was normal for the Fed funds rate to be above the rate of inflation, uh, as measured by the trailing 12-month uh, 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 rate of price increase, as measured in that way. Uh, and so uh, we took that for granted. Why do you take that for granted? Because because the, these interest rates are rates at which people lend and borrow. Because because if if, if who who is pay me more returns than just inflation? What? What? You'd have to pay me more returns than just the inflation. Exactly. Uh, who 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 in his right mind is going to lend money at below? Now my, mine is a crude measure because I'm I was dealing with the lagged. Then the twelve-month rate lagged, but it's but it's approximately right because the twelve-month rate lagged was usually what was happening over the following twelve months. Uh, so it was a general measure of of the relationship between the interest rate and, and the rate of price inflation. And just as you said, as I'm about to say, who in his right mind who expects uh, price inflation to be five percent would lend money at four um, percent? Yeah, I mean, to me, uh, unless somebody's really forcing you in a market in a free market. If indeed a free market did have a five percent price inflation, would you, I could set up a hypothetical where that could be the case, even though it's very unlikely in a free market because the money supply isn't going to jump by that much. But it's not inconceivable. I could set it up. Uh, th there would be an adjustment. The lenders would it would begin to insist on a what what we in the in the economics parlance call a real rate of, 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 of interest. The real rate of interest is, of course, the inflation-adjusted rate of interest. So again, uh, I've been, I think, maybe rather garrulous and simply talking about how uh, in those 50 years uh, from, 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 from 1960 to 2010, the, the Fed funds rate was above the rate of inflation since 2010, which has now been 11, 12 years, going on 12 years, uh, the, uh, the Fed funds rate has been below the rate of inflation. Now, this is now more than a decade, and 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 I'm I'm just looking at conventional numbers. I'm I'm almost talking in conventional terms. I, I if I if I were a congressperson and I didn't have much imagination, if so, and my assistant put this in front of me, I would say, Chairman Powell, uh, 50 years 
of, of the interest of, of, the, of the targeted interest rate being above the rate of inflation and for the last 12 years it's been below what why this departure in policy you're a pretty radical guy what the heck have you done what have you wrought and now uh, we find that uh, that that the plans uh, when we're looking at six percent inflation five percent inflation at, at a minimum the plans are to raise the, what, what happened last week was the interest rate was raised to uh, i'm even forgetting them to was it something like a quarter of a point uh, or was it uh, two or was it one one uh, it, it less it's still less than half a percentage point um so and what is going to be raised to over the next year or so uh, the ambition is to raise it by small degrees up to three percent three percent still below the five percent rate of inflation that seems to be or six percent that seems to be plaguing us and so what kind of inflation fighting policy is that and again you know i, I i'm hardly sounding like some kind of i i hardly need to be uh, any kind of extreme free market austrian to make that point the wall street journal is making that point uh, uh, the Wall Street Journal, you know, is basically sort of oriented toward the free market, but they do believe in the Fed, and they're, and they're not too keen on Austrian economics. My, my point is that this is just insanity. Uh, insanity, insanity just in relation to the 50-year policy of the Fed prior to 2010. So uh, that's the reality of what's going on. And on top of that, we have uh, Biden and other fanatics talking about how the, how the government... Joseph Biden, because you've heard of him, he's the president. He 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 does not. He specifically repudiates the idea that the government has anything to do with with the price inflation that has arisen. Uh, and and then we have so many left wingers talking about how it's it's all about corporate greed, uh, or all about some of the crap that you've been handing me, Rob, about how it's all supply chains. You know, when I, I tried to belabor the point that that uh, again, it's got to be the money supply. Arithmetically, it's not possible for it to be otherwise. So when I'm, when I'm, the picture I'm painting is that is that if I were chairman of the Fed Monday morning, it would be a difficult education that I would have to impart to the White House, impart to the media. Uh, I would have, but but hopefully if I threw up that chart, I'd say, uh, I'd say, look, I'm a conservative Fed, Federal Reserve Chairman. I want to return to the 50 years from 1960 to 2010, when the federal funds rate was above the rate of inflation. I need to target that. We, we've had tw 11 to 12 years of insanity uh, of, of, fi of fixing an interest rate below the rate of inflation. And we and I'm inheriting a Fed that now plans to raise it to 3% still below the rate of inflation. And so uh, that's the burden that I would have to take on. And I would declare no. my aim to, right, to, to lift the interest rate above the rate of inflation. Yeah. Uh, firstly... Fascinating and insightful because uh, I was unaware of any of this. So I, I, I appreciate uh, and it seems pretty crystal clear when you put it that way. Hey, we've been running with this metric for 50 years. Like, why are we not running with that metric? My question for you, though, it's kind of a technical one, which I think also uh, amplifies the mistake that Powell is making at this time. Uh, so the question is, so I would assume that the the way that the Fed is manipulating the Fed fund rate to keep it below the rate of interest is that they're making avail money available to the banks so that they can, I guess, afford it. Like at what specifically is the process of them being able to manipulate that Fed fund rate to keep it below the rate of interest? And I assume it's well, that they well, have to saying the rate of interest, the rate, the Fed funds rate is an interest rate below, right. below the rate of price inflation. 
little bit. You said, wait a minute. They're keeping okay. the Fed funds sure. interest rate below the rate of price inflation. Below the rate of price inflation. Yeah. I would oh, think yeah. that you have to be making money available to the banks, which would then increase the money supply yeah. and then also increase the exact problem, which is that you've increased the money supply so much that there's more inflation. So it sounds to me like th that yeah. that the exact policy would be uh, basically just fueling more more inflation. Okay, all right. There you've raised another good another good question. Finally, Rob, please with this. Watch it with the economic grammar. It's, it's a, admittedly it's a little bit difficult, and uh, I don't know if we, I don't know if we've lost the audience because I'm speaking with a lot of you. Know, this is like Fed speak. I'm trying to explain it clearly. I'm trying to get it across. It, it's it, it is called the Fed funds interest rate, and I, I latched upon it because it is has been the targeted policy since 1960 and before. So that's why it's got that history. That's why I wanted to mention this 50-year history. But uh, but getting to your question, uh, you do you do hit upon an issue. We, if if you flood if you flood the market with money, by the way, what's also been happening as a departure from the past is that the Federal Reserve has been buying up has been has been targeting interest rates all along what we refer to as the yield curve. And it hasn't just been targeting the uh, the short-term interest rate. It's been uh, unprecedentedly starting what what's known as QE, QE2, QE3. It's been it's been uh, targeting uh, mortgage interest rates, uh, ten-year interest rates by buying up. If you buy up, if you buy a bond that has a fixed coupon and you raise its price, you lower its interest rate. You lower the difference between the price of the bond and the return on that bond. So it's been buying up bonds all along the yield curve in order to lower all the interest rates. So uh, I'm giving you my usual garrulous answer to your question, which does have that glimmer of brilliance, that usual glimmer of brilliance, Rob, when you ask, well, but if you if you're flooding if you if you if you yourself are causing the inflation and you're flooding the market with money, doesn't that uh, doesn't that mean? And now I'm going to use a phrase that was common in the '90s, uh, not so common anymore. The what they used to call the bond market vigilantes. And the bond the bond market vigilantes was a nice phrase because the vigilantes are always. You know, citizen, you know, the vigilantes, of course, you know, Rob Bernstein commits a crime. The vigilantes, you know, hang him high because he's committed a crime, you know, you, uh, and so on. The, the vigilantes then are not government. The vigilantes are just the private citizens. So who are the bond market vigilantes? The bond market vigilantes are those who say, hey, look, the goddamn inflation rate is 5%. Money supply is, 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 is gone through the roof. Uh, uh, who the heck? Uh, we've got to dump our bonds. Uh, uh, we, we can't hold these bonds that are only paying 2%. We've got inflation at 5%. So the bond market vigilantes, the traders, the, the citizen army starts dumping bonds. And and, and by dumping bonds, uh, the, the, the prices of those bonds fall. And if the prices of those bonds fall with the same fixed rate of return, the interest rates start to rise. And and uh, and so uh, uh, I, I use the phrase bond market vigilantes because because it was a nice phrase that captured that phenomenon. Uh, uh, and uh, although, of course, it sort of implied that the government should have some role in the bond market. Really, it shouldn't. The vigilantes, the, the, the traders should be in charge in any case. But your 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 question is, how can this continue? Uh, how how can how can people continue to 
borrow and, and, and lend at interest rates below the rate of inflation. How long can the Federal Reserve keep this going? Because won't we have, and now to put, uh, to, to put words in your mouth, won't we have a market response in the form of the bond market vigilantes? Who's, uh, won't we have a reaction? And, and that has puzzled me that we have not had it yet. Uh, we the, the 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 Federal Reserve now has been so dominant, and I guess the 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 degree to which the traders sort of trust the Federal Reserve has been so great that we do have this craziness. We have long-term bonds that are going for only a little over two percent. When when one would think any rational person would recognize that that the inflation prospects over the next 10, 12, 15 years are certainly for a higher rate of inflation than 10, 12, 13%. So uh, to answer your question, I believe that inevitably uh, th this is going to bite the Fed in the ass and that the interest rates are going to rise. Uh, uh, but but I, I will say that at least uh, the Fed is marching in the right direction now. At least it is raising interest rates, uh, but it is uh, the plan is to raise the Fed funds rate by 3%. My point is that I would have to declare as Fed chairman that, uh, that that's not enough. Uh, we, we've got to catch up and then start exceeding the rate of inflation in order to go back to where we were, the policies pursued by my predecessors from 1960 to 2010. You know, I'm, I mean, uh, it's, it's a little uncomfortable for me to talk like that because I believe a lot of those people were jerks, you know, who headed the Fed for those 50 years, but at least they were less insane, less crazy than Chairman Powell is. At least they did something reasonably sane by maintaining the Fed funds interest rate above the rate of inflation. But again, uh, my usual garrulous answer to your question, Rob, which is that, uh, that, the, the, that the market will probably respond sooner or later by raising the interest rate. We can add further that there's an insatiable demand on the part of the government to continue to borrow in order to finance its spending plans over the next 10, 20 years. So one way or the other, we are headed for real problems down the road. I, I believe that we are on a trajectory of increased price inflation uh, over the next 10 years or so. But uh, you wanted to say something. No, no, no. So I, 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 I guess just to slightly add to the, the picture that you're painting. So at some point, there's only so much of the debt that the Fed can just buy without continuously pushing up inflation. And so they're going to be in a situation where they're forced to basically raise interest rates and actually finance some of the debt by selling bonds, not just to itself. Well, well, yeah, they, they are beginning to move in that direction, uh, and uh, they're beginning. I would, last week, it was announced that they're raising the target uh, by it was a quarter of a percentage point, uh, and that and that the plans are to continue to inch it up by a quarter percentage point, up to about three percent. Uh, they are. Uh, they hold uh, hold an immense amount of bonds. Uh, they're going to stop doing that. that if you, it, all the Fed has to do, by the way, is simply stop expanding its, its its holding of bonds because those bonds mature. So its holding of bonds will will simply wind down if it simply stops buying more bonds because bonds mature and disappear. That's the nature of a bond. You own a twenty year bond; it matures in twenty years. It's no longer it no longer exists. Bonds disappear over time. Uh, so they can do that. So they are taking baby steps in that direction. Uh, my my point only about price inflation is that it's clearly they aren't doing enough and they're acting in an atmosphere where what I've just said, 
I guess I could say the the, the the Wall Street Journal is echoing that same point. This is this is hardly what we would call inflation fighting. What the Fed is doing, again, because they're maintaining interest rate too low. But you're not hearing it from the New York Times. You're not hearing it from the progressive left, from Joe Biden. There's absolutely there's the same kind of idiocy about the nature of price inflation, which I you know I'm almost embarrassed that that it sounds as though I'm I, I've been talking in complicated technical terms by saying, look, if there's a fixed money supply, how can there be a rise in prices? But but again, it, it's I'm I'm almost bothered. I'm making it sound more complicated than it needs to be. Back in the 1970. No, I, 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 I actually think the analysis has been highly worthwhile because I, I, I'm never aware of like the technicals of, I guess, how, like what exactly the Fed's doing in relation to the banks or like, so you're giving us a lot more of like the technicals of how this actually takes place and some of the key indicators they should be looking at. So I actually think this has been very worthwhile. Okay, I mean, I hope I'm not admiring us in too much of these, you know, the banking stuff where where eyes were glazed over. Uh, But I I wanted to just recall uh, the past that I lived through uh, in the 70s. You know, President Gerald Ford, he was president for a while. He he flashed uh, buttons that were called win, whip inflation now. And so so he felt that if you if you if everybody were to wear a button called whip inflation now, we could whip inflation. And uh, that was the president of the United States uh, and, uh, uh, and his advisor. And so what what did that mean? It meant sort of like, you know, you have to buy less. You have to participate in this whipping inflation now by buying less. But he's talking to, to, to people of limited means who are trying to scrape by, who are trying to keep up with the inflation uh, by earning more. Who, who, uh, who, and I, I'm mentioning that only because... That was like the ultimate idiocy. At least Biden is not flashing buttons called whip inflation now. As though, as though all we have to do is wear a button and buy less and we can whip inflation now. Uh, um, um, the, the point I'm only pursuing is that there's such a fog of misunderstanding uh, on, on, on Capitol Hill and in the media about the nature of this price inflation that I think that's going to contribute to allowing the Fed to continue the policy that it's been pursuing, which is not really to cope with the inflation, uh, um, uh, such a gross misunderstanding of the, of the simple points I'm trying to to point to uh, that that most economists sort of do understand, and so that will in itself mean that we are on that trajectory. Also, uh, let me add that let me add a supply side point, which you might think gets a little bit far afield uh, to what I've just said. You you do have you do have supply side pressures, but the supply side pressures are sort of on the Federal Reserve. The supply side pressures are the businesses and, and labor respond by what you said earlier, which is that suddenly your whole outlook, even if you're a discounter like Walmart or discounter like like Amazon, suddenly the atmosphere changes and you the orientation is to raise prices and raise wages. So so that dynamic starts in the in the marketplace itself and and as that dynamic begins to build um, it, it would get nowhere if if there weren't an expansion in the money supply uh, so you need that uh, part of it as well but but it puts pressure on the fed to to respond uh, to an expand to, to that pressure to but to expand the money supply in response in order to accommodate those factors uh, more or less actually going back to what we we're talking about with the with the with the with the oil shock um, if if you accommodate that motel and keep expanding the money supply then maybe you'll avoid uh, then uh, those the, those widespread bankruptcies uh, and so 
uh, I'm, I'm only trying to point out that the wage price spiral can happen, and but it doesn't. It, do, it can't happen in a vacuum. It happens by operating on the Fed, uh, on on the on the on the dynamics by which the Fed expands money balances in banks, and banks can lend to businesses that are raising prices and consumers that are getting more wages, and it starts a sort of pri the kind of dynamic that did take place in the 1970s, and and you you actually read about the Weimar. Republic when there was 100% inflation and they said you need more you need to throw more money in the system people need more money in order to operate indeed they do because otherwise there's going to be a wave of bankruptcies they were talking those terms in the 20s so I'm, I'm talking about a, a key dynamic that will uh, put pressure on the Fed to keep expanding the money supply in the case of the 1970s as you may know uh, uh, Paul Volcker was appointed as Fed chairman by Jimmy Carter, a Democratic president. Uh, but uh, Volcker, then under Ronald Reagan, and I believe Reagan actually played a role there, uh, Volcker recognized that in order to break the back of a price inflation that kept building and building that was up to 12%, 13%, he had to disappoint the market, and the only to disappoint the market's expectation for more money. He had to bring about that wave of bankruptcies, and he pushed the federal the federal funds rate, although he did it somewhat surreptitiously, up to twenty two percent. We're talking about a federal funds rate that's now less than half percent. He pushed it up to twenty two percent. He knew that would bring about a recession. It brought about up to that at that point the worst recession since the Great Depression. That 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 unemployment rate, by the way, uh, in the early nineteen eighties was ten percent, very much similar to the unemployment rate of the 08-09 uh, downturn. So he brought about a very severe recession by breaking the back of the inflation and starting a, a new kind of regime at the Fed that was much more hawkish on inflation than ever before. So he had the courage to do that, uh, and uh, and, he, and he did have the backing of Reagan, uh, who I, I believe, actually, Reagan, ironically, was probably this, probably knew more about economics than most presidents who ever existed. I think Reagan knew what he was doing as well. And so Reagan was able to suffer that massive recession uh, and, uh, in 81, 82 that actually began to break the back of the inflation. And then was, that his, in the, was that in his uh, second term? Um, no, no, no. In Reagan, no, no, oh, wow. no, no, no. Uh, Reagan, Reagan was you know, Reagan was eighty and eighty-four. He ran again in eighty-four. He was his first term. Um, and uh, you know, I, I actually, I, I'm getting a little bit into the swamp of the politics of it uh, beyond what I literally know for sure. But certainly, uh, it was actually. It, I will tell you, I, I I did a number of interviews with Milton Friedman. You know, who's the famous you know a monetarist, and uh, he was the one uh, who made that point to me. That uh, that that Carter had had been had there been a Democratic president like Carter still in power in the early eighties, uh, Volcker would not have been able to do what he did. Um, but I mean, it was it was very destructive, but it was very courageous. And and uh, and uh, but I would also add that that certainly that that ushered in a wave of of, of hawkishness. Although, as I say, compared to now, the Fed was hawkish from from nineteen sixty to twenty ten. Now we're really gone crazy. But but Volcker was very hawkish on inflation, recognized that inflation is a fool's bargain. He continued in charge. He did handed over to Greenspan, uh, Alan Greenspan, in 87. Greenspan, Greenspan began to abrogate a lot of what Volcker was doing, but more or less kept in mind the, the, the point about inflation. And then uh, 
you're letting me go into a long story, but I will say that the supply side part of it is a factor. The pressure on the Fed to expand the money supply really receded in the 1990s, partly because of the end of the Cold War, partly because suddenly a lot of cheap labor became available abroad. Businesses needed less money to operate because they were suddenly hiring cheap labor abroad. The globalization that came with the end of the Cold War caused, caused a disinflation. Uh, the, the, uh, and of course, the other part of it was that, uh, that because of the end of the Cold War, military expenditures fell. And so that too put less pressure on the government's need for debt. And so there, there, there was another factor. So uh, I'm giving the whole long story of, of price inflation. Uh, I could continue with it, but uh, may, maybe uh, you want to ask so, a question. Jump in yeah. and get back to the present day. Yeah. No, so here, here's my next question for you. So we've got a picture here where uh, M2, it's increased by 40%. We're starting to see inflation. The Fed's having to buy more of its own debt to try and kind of to keep that Fed funds right down yeah. and to kind of make it seem like uh, – that government can finance its debt at, you know, rates beneath the in current inflation rate. So it would seem to me that with the dollar, you know, on pace to lose more and more of its value, do you think we have any risk here of other countries going, why am I holding so much, so many dollars? Why am I transacting in this? Do, can we hit a level of inflation where, more countries go, hey, I can't afford to be holding dollars. Yeah, um, uh, I, I'm i a little skeptical that that's going to be a problem right now, um, partly because it doesn't, it, that it, when you think about the dollar, you have to think compared to what. And uh, Europe seems to be having more trouble than even we are. I mean, Europe, Europe has always been screwier in most of its policies in terms of economics than the U.S. Uh, so, uh, so, so compared to the euro, how's the dollar going to do? Uh, China, uh, that's the that's the Chinese currency, the yuan, or, the, or it's called the renminbi. Um, how is China doing? Uh, uh, it's a mismanaged economy. Uh, so uh, what I'm trying to argue just in broad brushstrokes that I'm a little skeptical because as much as the U.S. is screwing up, um, I, uh, I I believe that uh, Europe, its problems with energy by the far greater, yeah, and uh, its 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 monetary expansion is probably greater. Uh, usually, if uh, if the U.S. is screwing up, the, uh, the, the the Europe and and China are screwing up even worse. I, of course, I, I guess I've I've stated something about China that sounds a little bit off the wall because we're supposed to think that China is is such a bunch of smart people, but um, of course, I think they're basically a screwed up centralized economy that they've marched in the wrong direction. And uh, so I, compared to the alternatives, I don't think the dollar in relation to other currencies is going to decline. But uh, but I, I do think that down the road, down the road, oh, excuse me, um, yeah. down the road, it's possible that uh, that that Bitcoin, that gold could be, uh, I shouldn't say gold, I should say Bitcoin, that Bitcoin or cryptocurrency could replace the dollar. I, I think it's a little too early for that to happen. I think Bitcoin has to build in price. I think it's years away. 
Um, and so I hope that answers your question. I'm, I'm just, again, I'm saying the dollar compared to what? What's the alternative? The, do, the dollar has to be valued in something. And uh, I, I, uh, I'm skeptical that uh, that that that, uh, the, that the world is going to is going to turn to Chinese currency or to the euro or, or to the yen or to uh, the British pound as an alternative to the dollar. So I, I do have to ask about the, 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 also, but. So the Chinese currency, it's called, you said it's the yuan? Or how is it pronounced? It's called the yuan. Or the, I forget why it's called either the yuan or the renminbi. The renminbi. renminbi. It's not a dance. R-R-M-I-N-B-I. Renminbi. Right. But, but it's more commonly referred to as the yuan, probably because we, we guys you can pronounce so, the, Chinese. The claim with China was that they, uh, I mean, this was Trump's thing. He used to say that they engaged in currency manipulation. Uh, I do think that China does not want the value of their currency to increase because they mainly export. And so that seems to be kind of a long running story with them. And I I think in in broad terms, some of the mechanics of that was that they bought a lot of foreign debt. So they wouldn't let like basically profits back into the country and increase the value of their own currency. Um, Now, there's talk this past week was in The Wall Street Journal about Saudi Arabia uh, being in talks about maybe pricing more oil contracts in uh, in Juan and basically, you know, selling directly. Uh, but when I saw that, I, I was like, you know, this has been this long running story of kind of the petrodollar and maybe other. But it seems to me like other currencies don't want to appreciate like like it would seem to me that oh, like perhaps know. that even China wouldn't want that because that's been kind of against their entire economic strategy for the last, you know, 30 or 40 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I know that's, that sounds like an additional factor um, that, uh, that, that sort of, it, it's really, you know, what we call mercantilism in a way. It's, it's this myth that you get rich by selling a lot of your goods abroad, when, of course, obviously, uh, a simple-minded person would say, have, you know, you only get rich by, by acquiring a lot of goods, not by... Right. So the next part is you sold a lot because you want to acquire a lot. Uh, but but the but the dominant uh, 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 elements in many countries, certainly like China, want want a cheap currency so they can sell more rather than an expensive currency so they can buy more. And one would think it's a it's a two edged sword. If the if the dollar is cheap, for example, then obviously uh, our manufacturers can sell more. But if the dollar is cheap, then uh, then you and I uh, buy less. Uh, so it's a two so, but uh, getting back to your point about uh, whether uh, the dollar is going to decline in value, as you indicate, uh, there's the, the Chinese probably don't even want it to happen. Uh, on the other hand, I think it can happen. It can be. I think that if if we if we're going 10 to 15 to 20 years down the road uh, and we hit the potential for a really severe fiscal crisis, it could be, uh, for example, uh, a flight out of dollars. Uh, that are invested in our stock market. There's a massive amount of foreign money, and first of all, invested in our bonds. One third of our bonds are held by foreigners. Uh, more than a trillion dollars worth of U.S. Treasury bonds are held by the Chinese, by the Chinese central bank. You know, the, the, uh, a joke I like is if the U.S. goes to war with China, <clears throat> it will have to do it you'll have to finance the war with money it borrows from the Chinese. You know, we're going we're to go to war with a country that owns over a trillion dollars worth of our debt. 
know, that's kind of unprecedented. Although, because uh, the Chinese actually have not been acquiring more of our debt over the last few years, but they they came out of nowhere. Starting in about 2000, they started buying up our debt uh, like mad, and they're up to over a trillion. The Japanese own over a trillion of our debt, um, and so. Uh, Getting back to the scenario uh, that I mentioned, if there is a major fiscal crisis, if there's a collapse in our stock market, uh, there'll be a lot of uh, selling of stock by foreigners so we could have what, what has been alliteratively called the Dow dollar death spiral. People, uh, the foreigners start dumping stocks and by in that sense, in that case, they're dumping dollars. And then, if the dollar declines, then 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 the value of their stocks decline even further because in, in terms of their own currencies, so they dump even more, and that could cause uh, uh, bad times. Uh, but um, I, I guess I want to speak uh, when you and I were speaking the other day, <clears throat> just informally, because I want to speak about the fact that there is a, a desire. On, on the part of the traders of the world to trade in one currency, uh, the uh, and that the free market generally gravitates toward one currency uh, because the, that facilitates trade, and the dollar has been the convenient uh, choice. Um, I I do I do I do uh, dissent from those who think that it's all a plot on the part of those brilliant people in Washington who often you know know nothing about economics to keep the dollar uh, dominant uh, uh, in the world. Uh, I don't think they're smart enough to know how to do that. I think it's basically been uh, determined by the market that the, that the dollar has become dominant because it, it facilitates trade in the world. Uh, and, uh, and that for things to be priced in dollars simplifies trade. And so there's a preference to hold dollars. And, uh, and, and, and that's very diff That's kind of a network effect that's difficult to alter. So all of the predictions, for example, that Peter Schiff has been making, that the dollar is going to decline in value. I, I, it hasn't happened month after month after month. I, I don't think it's likely to happen over the next couple of years. But I've been wrong before, so who knows? But again, I think that the dollar isn't that, what, isn't that what makes uh, being an economist such a lucrative profession? Is you get to be wrong a whole lot. <laughs> well, I, I like to think of my. I, I you know, you know, I, I guess I'm perverse that way. When somebody calls me an economist, I like to say, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not an economist. I'm a, I'm actually a social. Uh, commentator, and I've learned the, all the, the, the only thing I've ever learned is that is that if you really can understand what goes on in the world, uh, uh, most subjects like history and sociology and psychology are not that difficult to grasp. But economics is a little bit challenging. So if you focus on learning economics, then the the rest comes easy. You, you and I want to comment and interpret the world. So I'm an interpreter of the world, and I don't make my living. Uh, you know, making investment recommendations. And so I don't like to think of myself as a forecaster. I like, if you ask me about what my expectations are for what's to come, I will talk about it, but that's not what I primarily do. I primarily uh, try to interpret what goes on in the world, just like you do, Rob, and with a special knowledge of economics, because uh, economics can be hard. You know, you want to master economics in order to be able to interpret the world world uh, the and and i like to argue that economics is really not that difficult to master uh, so long as you recognize that it's not it's not a mathematical branch of physics it's it's just a, a fundamental understanding of a few principles that i've tried to uh, exemplify in our discussion so far uh, all right so gene we're an yeah. hour and 10 in oh, do you no. want do you want to do a part two right now on the second part of the book, which is the uh, 
unintended consequences of government interfering with uh, with free markets? Or do you oh. want to save that for another Saturday? I tell you what, Robert. Let's let's save that for another Saturday. All right, because dude, I'm, I've learned I've I'm, learned so much. No. The thing with the episodes with you is I got to go back and re-listen to them. Yeah. Because uh, even sitting here, I don't. I like I I I hear it. I understand it, and then I I almost need a second listen to really absorb it and make an information that even I could uh, repeat and sound you're, confident with. Well, you've done pretty well, Rob. Again, you you like to summarize. You're in, you're, you you listen intently. I like the fact that this time around the 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 screen didn't freeze over uh, as it did the last time. And, yes. and it froze on you where you were shutting your eyes and looking like you were bored to tears. You've had a very lively face the whole time and asking good questions, jumping in, accepting corrections from me. So once again, I commend you, Rob, on the quality of your interviewing. I, I guess I want to lead, lead, lead with one final statement. Milton Friedman, who definitely deserves a lot of credit for understanding more or less what I've been describing, although I've just mentioned Austrian economics a little bit that Milton didn't completely understand. But when he said uh, uh, inflation, uh, I would say price inflation is always and everywhere a monetary phenomenon. It re requires an increase in the money supply. That should sort of be a no-brainer. Although I will add to that and say that uh, an expansion of the money supply is kind of necessary to, to a price inflation. It's a sine qua non. It can't happen unless you have a price inflation, um, unless you have a monetary inflation. Price inflation cannot happen unless you have a monetary inflation, an inflation of the money supply. On the other hand, uh, uh, it, it may not be sufficient. There are other factors involved and the factors that are coming into play are we have a tight labor market, so wages are rising uh, and uh, we have Indeed, supply chain problems. So, um, in, in a way, I'm 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 uh, I'm conceding your point. So, this is a kind of a supply side pressure. But the supply side pressure is operating on the Federal Reserve. It would not mean anything at all if there weren't uh, an institution there that's expanding the money supply. On the other hand, I so that's why my portrait has been a little bit complex because I'm not discounting, I'm not ignoring the fact that there are legitimate supply side pressures involved. And then I guess I should add once again that the source of this increase in the money supply is the government. The government sells its bonds to the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve prints money to buy those bonds. There's been an explosion in those bond purchases over the last couple of years. And so that's the link. That's why the federal government is at the source of, of this, why why the fiscal policy is at the source of the monetary policy. The fiscalists need to sell their debt. They're selling their debt to the to the Fed. The Fed is printing money in order to expand uh, the, the purchase of that of that debt. And that lead to an that has led to an expansion of the money supply, which has in turn led to the price inflation. And I guess I'm talking too fast. Uh, in order to summarize, but that's more or less it, Rob. And uh, so listen to what I've just said and slow it down and listen to it step by step. And then you can grasp it all. Uh, this has been great. Thank you so much, Gene. Always a pleasure. And uh, we're going to have to schedule another one soon so we can finally do part two in the series on uh, bleeding heart capitalism. And I look forward to seeing you, Rob, in the flesh at Soul Forum on uh, April 11th, Monday evening, along with all your other fans. Thanks a Beauty. lot. Have a great one.